Welcome to the Missionary Disciple Podcast by Catholic Christian Outreach. As we're between seasons this summer, we'll be sharing recordings from our Rise Up Conference in Toronto last December. This includes both keynote and workshop talks featuring a variety of fantastic speakers. We hope you enjoy them. Awesome to be here. Thank you guys all so much for coming and for, you know, specifically taking an interest in learning more about how to address abortion in a culture that completely accepts it. So I want to start off by saying the conversations that you might have to have or, you know, the relationships that you may enter into with people who are pro-choice or pro-abortion or believe that killing human beings is perfectly fine. They're not easy ones. And so the, the strategies and the, the sort of tactics and habit ideas that I want to give you today start from that premise. These are not easy things to do. And so I'm going to try to make our workshop as concrete as possible um, so that you can really get a good understanding of what it would be like to journey with people who are pro-choice. I thought I would start off by telling you about my friend, Stacy. So Stacy is one of my neighbors. Um, we, she moved to my neighborhood a few years ago and we become really, really good friends. And she's one of the nicest, most beautiful, welcoming, generous people that I have ever met. And she's actually taught me a lot about generosity and how, um, you know, like to love people and to be welcoming to them. That's something that she's really, really good at. And she has a huge heart for people. So Stacy and I actually met a few years prior at the birth of one of my kids. She was my midwife. And then randomly, she moved to my neighborhood. So right from the get-go, like, I obviously knew a lot about what she did because she was there when I gave birth. And only a few people are allowed to be around at that time. Um, but she didn't know anything about what I did. But you can imagine that... I don't um, sort of lead like very uh, openly or, you know, very openly about what I do because in our culture today, those types of believing those things, it's it's different. Um, People are scared of it. And so, you know, she didn't she didn't know what I what I did. And I'm very careful to say what I do. But, you know, but I, I chose for a long time to to be, you know, very investigative about her and what she does and what she values as part of trying to figure out maybe for myself, like at what point would there be an opening maybe for me to really say what it is that I do? It turns out not so much (laughs) because although my friend Stacy is wonderful and beautiful and so generous, she's very, very pro-choice. She's a very pro-choice midwife. And it sounds like a juxtaposition in terms, right? She delivers babies, but at the same time believes that some of those babies in some circumstances should have been killed. And so you can imagine how careful I felt and still feel like I have to be in talking too much about what I do. So I tend to ask a lot of questions about her (laughs) to, to maybe escape that a little bit or take the pressure off, but inevitably, because she's a great friend, she asked me, so what exactly is it that you do? 
And, you know, I really don't want to lead with, well, actually, um, you know, I lead an organization that teaches young people to reject abortion. That's my full-time job. Because understandably, she would probably hear something like, I love the patriarchy and great, my neighbor is the queen of the patriarchy. And she, like, you know, I, she obviously, because she's filtering in all these other ideas about what, what does it mean to be against abortion? And that's one of the trickiest things, right, about having relationships with people today who are so ideologically opposed to you because you're not just trying to build trust with the person in front of you. You're also trying to um, break down the ideas that they have built up because of social media or because of other influences in their life. So you're now dealing with breaking down things plus trying to build trust in the, and what it takes is so different than if it was just you and them and they're not hearing any outside other perspectives. You know, I was really worried that at some point if I told her what I do, she would think that I'm basically the Indian version of Donald Trump and that, you know, we... Uh, that, that I'm just some crazy extremist. And, you know, honestly, maybe vice versa. Like, I, I, I would worry that if I told her, maybe she would be like a very aggressive feminist or something, you know? So what I ended up saying to her was, I talk to students about human rights on university campuses. And it's, yeah, it's intentionally vague. And I tried my best to use language that would keep my work in a positive light to her because people love the idea of human rights. And they love the idea of there being people who advocate for human rights. And I just kind of let her think whatever she was gonna think about that. Most people that I say that to think that I like, I don't know, help teachers fight for like better pay or something. And I, <laughs> I just let them think that and I smile and nod a lot. So why did I do that? Well, as you guys know, probably from being at this conference that like, what's our goal, right? Like what's our goal with these conversations? Like overall as Christians, our job is to bring people to heaven, right? And that requires a lot of intention in our conversations and in our relationships. And that can be hard, right? Because you want to feel relaxed. You want to just be able to be yourself and be totally open about who you are. But the reality is, if you want to be in relationship with people who are ideologically opposed to you, it requires different things. It actually requires probably the most, like holding back a lot initially and very slowly and very carefully over time, revealing more and more about who you are, but not but not in a like debate way and not in a, I'm just gonna tell you my position on all these things. It's like a slow burn with people where you have to ease them into, and more than anything, they experience who you are more than you have to tell them who you are. And that's a critical thing because what our culture has done is told us that we need to debate and we need to fight all the time. And I say that as someone who's an activist and who's been doing activism for over 10 years. And 
in those settings where we're doing public outreach and we're trying to win people's minds over to the pro-life perspective, yeah, like you gotta, you gotta know how to debate and you gotta know what to say. But when we're in relationship with people for the long haul in our families, maybe our partners, maybe our cousins, maybe our aunts and uncles or our neighbors, it's not quite the same. And mostly it's about showing rather than telling. But our, but our number one goal is to bring people to heaven. And how do we do that? By loving them, by being in relationship with them, and intentionally so. Intention is such a big part of, of, of a relationship with people who you really, really, really disagree with. Because you got to be careful about what you say to be able to keep the relationship intact, which means every single thing that you say, they have to feel loved still through that. And so the reason that I couched my work in those terms with Stacy is because I knew that our relationship was not at a point where if I just came out and said, like, I fight against abortion, that there was any trust there, right, to really understood, understand what I mean. She didn't know me. She didn't know my character. She didn't know that I'm not the queen of the patriarchy. And so it just wasn't a good time to tell her I was. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we don't have trust yet. So without trust, you can't, um, yeah, you can't have relationships with people. And if we, we don't have a relationship because she doesn't trust me because of all her preconceived ideas, that we're not at a point yet where I can really break that down, then how could we journey together to heaven? And that is the goal, right? And so we have to be able to find ways to journey with people despite the fact that like there's a lot of preconceived notions. So like I mentioned at the beginning, it's difficult to do because you're not just, you know, building relationships with the person in front of you, but the influences and the narratives around you that are creating ideas in people's minds on both sides. There are people in this room, including myself, if you really thought about it, maybe you have some preconceived ideas about people who think it's okay to kill children. Or maybe you have preconceived ideas in your mind about the character of people who believe that transgenderism is okay, or homosexuality, or any number of topics. We all have that because we've been trained to build up ideas about people. So when, even when Stacey told me, like, I'm, I'm, you know, she never said I'm pro-choice. She just talked to me a lot about how she thought abortion was okay. And, um, you know, there was fear in my heart of telling her what I did because I thought maybe she would summon the feminists and they would show up on my door and she would egg my house or something. And, you know, or that, like, yeah, I really was Donald Trump and I was gonna, you know preach at her or like, you know, that I, that I hate women or something. But we're called higher, right? Like we're called to be so much higher than that and to ditch the preconceived notions that we have of each other to actually just be in relationship with the person in front of you. And that takes work and it takes intentionality. But I truly love her and I truly believe that she's a good person. And I truly want her to be in heaven with me. So if I really love her and I really want all those things for her, I gotta do what I can to figure out how to be in a relationship with her. So we're gonna talk about seven habits specifically today that I think people need to have when they're having intentional relationships with people. And you can find those in your handout.
But because this, this workshop today, right, is talking about abortion specifically. So why should we talk to people who we know disagree with us? Or why should we be in relationship with people who think abortion is okay? The reason is because people are being trained actively in our country to, to devalue people. And so we have a moral responsibility as Christians to reverse that. Abortion is one of the most contentious, difficult, and dangerous things happening in our country right now. And so can you really be fully a Christian and yet avoid the most difficult things going on in our culture right now and never speak about them or never learn about them or never choose to be in relationship with the people, the very people who are making these decisions. It's our moral responsibility to, to talk about abortion today. Jesus was one of the most controversial figures of his day. And that's you know obviously because of some of the things he said and he claimed, but in part, it was also because religion and power were some of the most controversial ideas to be discussing and breaking down and changing during his time. And so Jesus has shown us that you can't walk with him, you can't believe in him, you can't embody him without choosing to engage with people who totally disagree with you. And he had dinner with taxpayers and prostitutes, and he showed us the way to engage with the culture around us. And so it's my firm opinion that you are, cannot fully live your Christianity and avoid the most controversial, difficult, dirtiest, nastiest topics of our time. And that's why we have to talk about abortion. But there's another, there's another reason, right? The other reason is because lives are critically on the line. And I don't say that as some platitude, it's literally true in that Canada is the only country, the only democratic country in the whole world that has no abortion law. So right now our abortion rates are about 100,000 children who are killed every year up until nine months of pregnancy. And that's 300 children a day who are killed through abortion in our country. Several hundred of them in this city alone. Lives are critically on the line. And so we have a responsibility to hold back those who are running to the slaughter. It is our moral responsibility to do so. And then even more specifically, like why are you to talk about abortion? Well, of the people in Canada having abortions, it's people your age. So that puts the onus even more so on you to learn the, the, the information and the ways in which to engage with our culture. So out of 100,000 abortions that happen every year, half are from young people ages 18 to 24. So it behooves us to know how to talk to people about these issues. People are actively being influenced, especially as I'm sure a lot of you know on your own campuses, from stuff you're learning in class to devalue certain groups of people 
And unfortunately, you know, a lot of people with conservative mindsets or Christians are now being thrown into that same pot with the preborn. But they are being killed and we're not yet. And our, and our cross, you know, is, is to stand up for these children and face persecution by doing so. That is part of what it means to be a Christian. Sometimes our Christian tendency is that we want to help people get to heaven without talking about some of the hardest topics. Maybe we can just teach them the faith first without talking about some of these things, or maybe we can just skirt it all together and hope that they would change their mind. But really, it's about the kind of relationship that you have, right? Like with Stacy, it's quite different. I'm not in a like, you know, she didn't come to a Bible study or something that, I, that I'm having where I'm now accompanying her, right? It's an organic relationship where we can't jump into those conversations. So it, it looks very differently than if your relationship started with intention. So maybe though, because you people, the people in this room today, you people, who do I sound like now? Maybe I really am the queen of the patriarchy. <laughs> um, so maybe that's why you're here, though. Like you felt a stirring in your heart that you need to learn more. Or maybe you've actively avoided opportunities that have come up to have these tough conversations, or you just don't know how. Most young people that I talk to about abortion, their number one reason for not saying anything to the people around, like intimately connected to them is because they don't know what to say. Or they feel that they'll be too emotional and they don't know how to rein that in. But we gotta learn because people are being killed and we have a responsibility. Okay, so we're gonna talk about seven habits that uh, I think are really crucial for people to have and build inside themselves to be able to successfully have relationships with people who are ideologically opposed to you. So I'm gonna really go quite quickly through the first six so we can spend a long time on the seventh, which is knowledge. And then we're gonna do some pro-life apologetics practice. I'm gonna run through some, some very specific tactics and information for that. And then we're gonna get a chance to practice that. All right, number one. So building trust with people who you don't agree with. It's not an easy thing to do, but it is a critical requirement and the basic foundation for any relationship, right? If you don't have trust between two people, you got nothing. And for us as Christians and people with more conservative mindsets, it's tough because again, like I said, you're not just battling what's in front of you. So how do you build trust with people who you know you probably really disagree with? Well, a lot of what I do is I talk to them about a lot of other stuff. Like, I don't just make the whole relationship about the thing that we disagree with about. So my, my, um, my girlfriend there, Stacy, um, you know, we talk about a lot of other things like, I don't know, kids and the weather and jobs and music and clothes. I don't know, lots of other stuff. And I intentionally make sure that I don't lecture or preach even if she's saying some like pretty ridiculous things. Like she has to feel like I'm going to accept her right now for who she is, good and bad. And the reality is that most people are a mixture, even us in this room, 
you know, of, of some good things and some not good things. And so I actively work against, you know, feeling like she's just this one way because she believes some really like disturbing things. I really choose to believe she's a good person and actively try to find ways that we can, um, you know, have trust between us um, so that we can continue building a relationship. So that leads me to number two, which is a big one. Reject reductionism. Who can tell me what reductionism is? Also identity politics, same term. Antoine. Exactly. Yeah, so reducing someone to a single thing about them or their opinion on something, yeah. Intersectional hierarchy, wow. I feel like I'm uh, back in one of my human rights classes. Yeah, that's definitely part of it, right? Like, um, you don't let them speak or, like, have their own opinion. Is that... Yeah. 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 That's... uh, Yep. (laughs) Yeah, those are, you know, a cl- that's a classic example of using identity politics. You put people in a box and you're like, this is all you are. And honestly, and in humility, that's something I've had to, to fight against because I talk to a lot of people about a lot of sick things. And sometimes I do want to reduce them to, man, you're just, oh, I can't believe you believe this thing. But there's a whole philosophical underpinning to why someone believes something that they do, right? And it's based on their own journey, their own life experience. My friend Stacy, you know, she goes and helps women, like who uh, marginalized women in, in Ottawa who can't find a doctor, who are on drugs and avoid going to the doctor and are pregnant. And that's a beautiful thing. She's done checkups on them in cars and in Tim Hortons and wherever she can get them because they need care and their babies need care. And that's a really beautiful thing that she does. And yet at the same time, she believes some really bad things. And so the battle that we have, same as on you know, the other side, if you want to call it that, is to not reduce people to this, this one thing. Yeah, she thinks that killing children is okay. I hate that but I'm not gonna identify her through that lens only because that's not love. And if I can't love her, then we can't have a relationship. And if we can't have a relationship, she's never gonna change and get to heaven with me. So like, sometimes I gotta swallow a lot of stuff, you know, to, to be able to like keep talking to her and keep listening to her. And that's hard because in my mind and because of what happens on social media all the time, you just want to reduce them and like they, they believe trans, trans stuff is okay, you know, like, or that's, that's their main identifier. And you got to reject that. You got to actively push that out of your head and just focus on the person that's actively in front of you. So another major one is searching for common ground. I kind of mentioned this with trust, but it's something that I actively do with my, with my friends who don't believe the same thing as me. I really like try and listen to the things that they tell me that they're interested in or the things that they do or about their jobs so that I can ask good questions about that so I can learn more about them. 
So like some of my other neighbors um, that, I, that I'm in relationship with also don't believe like what I believe, excuse me. They're like, you know, he's got a kinesiology background or she works for the government and she hates her job. And like, you know, I, I try to listen to those things and then find ways to build upon the conversation. Like I, I, it's an active thing though, where I'm like, oh, okay. Like she really like doesn't like her job. Like, I wonder why that is. Why, why, why? Like, so I ask her, you know, and then it, that, that the opens more doors and opens more doors. And then through those conversations with that couple, um, you know, she's telling me she hates her job. One of the things she mentioned to me was that she was in charge of some, like, like the cannabis department <laughs> in the government. And, like, she hated it. And then so it opened some doors to, like, oh, like, what do you, so what do you think about cannabis? You know, or, like, um, what do you think about, like, and it tells you a lot about people as they start to answer these questions, right? Like, and, and just asking why and thoughtful questions, just really genuinely taking an interest in their life. And when you start to reject reductionism and find common ground, obviously your, your, your mind's going to change to realize like, wow, this person's so much more than this one element. And we actually have a lot of things in common. And that's one of the things that's really helped in my relationship with Stacy. Like we have a lot in common. She cares a lot about women and their children. She's a midwife and she helps them like wherever she can find them. She works with marginalized women. How cool is that? You know, and so over time I came to see like we actually have a lot in common and so she's not all bad and I shouldn't treat her that way and I really want to have a relationship with her. And shockingly, maybe I would learn something, you know, too from the way that she lives her life. And we need to stop seeing people as like, you know, demonized on both sides. So building upon that listening and like really deeply listening, not just like half listening while you're on your phone checking Instagram or like, yeah, 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 that's cool to get out of the conversation. Like really actually being curious about their life. I remember one time the couple I just mentioned, they came over for dinner and I forget how it came up, but uh, at some point they said some, we were talking about, um, oh, how kids with Down syndrome are some of the happiest kids, we remember we saw a commercial or something, are some of the happiest kids that we've ever seen. And they said that. And then I was like, yeah, they're amazing. Can you believe that like the, a lot of them like, are aborted because people think they're like, you know, a problem or like not really cool. Um, and people don't want to deal with them or see like having downs as a major issue and people don't like that. And then often the amnios are wrong. So then like, you know, that's a whole like really complicated thing, right? Like I said it very, very casually, like nonchalant, not like debater mode. Like, yeah, everyone's aborting children with downs you know, like very casually. And they were like, yeah, like having Down syndrome is no big deal compared to other things. And like my cousin, as she said, my cousin has Downs and he's amazing. And sometimes we take him out in public and people are really rude to him. You know, like it just opened all these doors because I was really 
actively listening to every word they were saying to try to find ways to build the common ground and to challenge a little bit and to be myself in the midst of that, but carefully, you know, and, and seizing those opportunities as they come up. So that leads to the next one, emotional intelligence. You know, you got to be able to learn how to read situations and ask the Holy Spirit to help you find those open doors. And if you're praying for that, maybe even before you see them, like people in your life, um, I know that the Holy Spirit's going to open those opportunities to speak into things. And I've seen that happen so much in my own life. So again, back to Stacy. Um, you know, we had a, a situation come up once where I had a friend over and then she came over and my friend um, unfortunately had a stillbirth with one of her children. And my friend says in front, and then my friend is from church and Stacy like is not from my church. So like, whatever, we're like trying to hang out and whatever. And um, so my friend says, you know, I, in a way I was really glad that my child died naturally because I would never want to be in a position where I'd have to start thinking about like whether or not I should end that life intentionally. The baby was sick. And I said, like, I wanted to say like, well, that's never the answer, but I didn't. What I said was, yeah, that choice would have been excruciating. And then she said, and then Stacy piped in, yeah, like, you know, we, that happens often in midwifery and, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, and then she made some comment about how the amniocentesis is like, you know, a big part of, of making sure like everything's okay before and maybe my friend could have gotten one or something. And I'm like, well, actually like amnios are not always accurate. And she's like, yeah, they are. <laughs> like... Well, you know, I just have talked to a lot of people who, and read some stuff on like how they might not be, but I could be wrong. You know, like I try to approach it from a position of humility, even though I know I'm right. Okay. <laughs> and she's wrong. Um, but I don't tell her that. Like, come on. So, you know, it's not false humility either. Like guys, I, we could be wrong. Like, I know I'm not, but like... <laughs> that's not the point. You know, the point is not who's right and who's wrong, Ruth, and like telling myself. Um, the point is that like I've tried to establish some common ground while subversively like and gently putting in like my thoughts, my ideas, but in a very like, um, you know, gentle way that's not argumentative and very conversational. And I'm, you know, when she, I could see that she was getting a little heated. So I just backed off, you know, emotional intelligence. It's important to know when to jump in and, and like go for it and when not to. So it's important, like the context that I'm talking about, because I'm not talking again about like activism or if like someone in your life specifically and directly asks you, what's your opinion on abortion? or any other issue, like you, you have a responsibility to say what your opinion is. Like you, you can't flat out lie because you're scared or you just don't want to, but you can learn to couch it in terms that they might understand. Like if, if, if she came out one day and asked me like, so you're pro-life, right? Like what I would probably say is, yeah, I think that, you know, I think abortion is wrong. I think a lot of women, though, make that decision in a place of crisis. 
I think sometimes you're not given all the information. And I think that's really wrong, you know? And, and I think that there are better options than, than abortion. You know, like those are things that she can probably relate to. Whereas if I said, yeah, abortion decapitates, dismembers and disembowels an unborn child. And that's why I'm against it. She would have been like, okay, girl, bye. Like it just wouldn't work, right? Like we have to use language that they can understand. And that takes emotional intelligence and the ability to read certain situations. And again, like if someone asks your opinion directly, you got to find a way to say it. And if the other situation is if someone's in crisis, like in your life, you have like a huge responsibility to speak into that directly, right? Like you really don't think this is a good idea and find ways to, to talk about that, but we can't go into that today. Okay, oh, I skipped one by accident. Okay, so the last one before we get to um, knowledge is filter bubbles. So like we live in a world and especially social media really even intentionally tries to curate information that it knows that you'll want to read, right? Like how many times have you been on Facebook and you see like Facebook asking you like, do you want to see this? Do you not want to see that? Did this offend you? Did that offend you? Like blah, blah, blah. So like it was specifically designed to create like a bubble around you of stuff that you'd want to, that you agree with or that you'd want to read. And we have to force ourselves to get out of that. Like you can't live your life as a Christian only surrounded by Christian people. That's not what we're called to. And yeah, you need those circle of friends to lean on because you can't be on all the time with people who like you disagree with because it takes a lot of energy, right? You got to find that circle that you can really just be yourself with and you agree on everything or most things ideologically so that you have, they can, they can hold space for you. But Man, like too many Christians walk their life just surrounded by people who they agree with and they don't challenge themselves to come out of it. And that's dangerous. Like you can't, you can't just live your life in like looking for everyone to agree with you and only search out the things that you, you really like. Like that's not what we're called to. You know, that, that's not what's been shown to us from the saints and from Jesus himself, tax collectors and sinners, you know, like we got to find a way to break out of those bubbles that we've built for ourselves and build relationship with people who we don't have anything in common with and find a way to be common. Okay, so the last one is knowledge. So as I mentioned at the beginning, a lot of people are afraid to say anything to people in their life about abortion because they simply don't know anything about it. And they're afraid of saying the wrong thing. But then instead of trying to find out more, some people just avoid the situations altogether. Okay, so raise your hand if you, well, now you probably could, but raise your hand if you could tell someone about Canada's abortion law. Okay, not bad. Raise your hand if you could explain what an abortion is to someone and how it occurs. Okay, not bad. Raise your hand if you could name a pregnancy care center in your city. A lot fewer people. 
Raise your hand if you actively follow the news so you can learn about how abortion is being talked about today. Okay, so fewer. Raise your hand if you're tired of me polling you. But anyone? Antoine? No. <laughs> Never tired, okay. Right, so finding out more can be a sacrifice because, man, there's some really gross things out there, right? Like, and even in your relationships with people, sometimes finding things out, it's really tough. Um, just the other day, we had our neighbors over, that couple and Stacy, and uh, we are having an entire conversation about inappropriate scenes in movies. And everyone in the room was in entire agreement that those scenes are perfectly acceptable and like no big deal. We, meanwhile, my husband and I, our faces are like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, like just trying so hard not to react. And then my husband's quite good at this. He says to them, but like, what's the point of them? You know, like he didn't address it head on. He's like, I just don't see the point. And that led into a whole other situation that I want to get into. But, um, you know, it was really hard because they were saying a lot of things about, you know, like pornography or different things like that. And, you know, and, and, it, was, and it was tough. And finding those things out, it's like really uncomfortable. Like I felt like I need to take a shower after. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But like it's just, it is uncomfortable. And similarly, you know, sometimes with the news, like, man, you got to find, you find out a lot about a lot of really tough stuff. Like just three days ago, um, I, I helped bury a baby that was found on the street in Ottawa. 17 weeks gestation, just left on the street. And I found out because I follow the news. And because I follow the news, I was able to contact my priest and ask him if he would help me bury this child and find out if the mom was okay and what could we do and ensure that this child was given the dignity that they deserve. And it was hard, you know, found out that the hospital doesn't classify children that age as children because they're too young and the abortion laws don't allow for it. So the baby was classified as tissue in the hospital. You know, I, and, and it, it, bro it broke me. I was so upset, you know, and, and then through that process, you know, there's a ton of vitriol on, online from the pro-choice community that were burying this baby and then the mom decides not to bury this baby or claim the body at all, although they found her. Like, that was hard. You know, I felt like rubber hitting the friggin' road of all the work that I do. Now, you know, I'm, we're starting to be in a position where we might have to bury dead children from other people who refuse to acknowledge their lives. Man, that's hard, you know? And you can't be in it all the time, but, and it is a sacrifice to red pill yourself, basically. Like, you gotta know, because you can't talk to people or challenge people or be in relationship with them if you don't know what's going on. You know, and that's part of the filter bubble. Like, how much do you actually know about what's really going on right now? And challenge yourself in thinking like, do I really wanna know and why don't I wanna know? What am I scared of? And again, I say that like with boundaries. You know, like I take breaks from social media, from the news, because it's heavy and it's hard to be a Christian and pro-life in this country right now. It's hard, but you still have to know because it's our responsibility. 
So the, as I mentioned, we're going to go into pro-life apologetics um, to give you guys a little bit more knowledge um, before you leave today and hopefully a chance to practice. Um, before I do, um, I would like to open up the floor to any questions. Um, okay, go ahead. Do you mind standing up and projecting? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, good question. So you're asking just for the room, um, why do pro-choice people get so emotional when talking about abortion? And let's be clear, it's not just pro-choice people always, but yes, like in Canada, um, in terms of abortion-related violence between pro-life, the pro-life movement and the pro-choice movement, it's all been pro-choice violence against pro-life people. So they do have a tendency to be more hostile. But I mean, my theory is that... Um, if you look at the numbers of abortion alone over the last 40 years or so, um, there's a heck of a lot of people who are walking around extremely wounded. And when you're that wounded because you killed your child and everyone told you it wasn't your child, like you're dealing with a lot of mental health issues that just like are there, right? Like PTSD and lots of other things. So that's like one group of people, the people who have had the abortions and everyone told them it was fine and it's not actually fine. Then you have a group of people who are associated to those people, right? So again, looking at the rates, like one in, one in four people um, have had abortions in our country. So you're looking at a heck of a lot of people just statistically who are affected by abortion because you're not just dealing with the mom and the dad. Um, you're dealing with grandparents, people, lots of people who probably helped justify that situation. So now you're in a justifying mentality of like, I did that and I'm going to defend their right to do it. And I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong, you know? So um, there's a lot of that going on, a lot of denial, I find, and just a lot of people affected by unaddressed trauma that you can't regulate your emotions when you're, when you're triggered like that. Um, and like, I hate using that word because it's been so trivialized, but that those are, would be actual triggers. And so part of our relationship with people is learning how to stay calm like you did, um, in the midst of that and, and trying to find a way to sort of regulate them back down that you're not, you're not here to just condemn them, but there are other opinions and you want to share your opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Yeah, so context is super important, right? So a lot of what I'm giving you guys is about people in your life and, and even like it would reach into activism or outreach. Um, but yeah, the medical, medical community right now in Canada is really under the gun with this kind of issue. So I really commend you for like being in that profession right now because it's really hard um, and your job is at risk, right? Like the minute that you choose to act on, on your values, you're going to put your job at risk. And that's part of being pro-life and Christian today. However, there are ways like from talking to pro-life doctors and things like that, um, strategies that they've employed um, to be able to have those conversations in a more subversive way. So I'll give you one example that really touched me. So I have a friend who's doing his residency out in BC and he was in the eMERGE room and same thing, a girl came in with stomach pains and uh, he wasn't really he, he wasn't really on or whatever at that time, but he had heard about it or he was there and then left. But for some reason, he felt really called to go back and look at her file. So he went and did that, which 
uh, apparently you're not really supposed to do. So he goes back and looks at it and sees like she's having stomach pain and like bloating and other things. And he's like, I kind of wonder if she's pregnant and why did I feel called to look at this file? So he chose to like carry on a shift or something, went and talked to her and said like, oh, like, let's just do, um, you know, let's just go and do an ultrasound and like see, like, and do a pregnancy test. You might be pregnant. Like, I'm not really sure. Um, so they go and do the test and she is pregnant. And immediately she says, I'm going to have an abortion. And he said the exact same thing you did in his head. It's like, well, Frig, I can't just be like, who gets human rights? And like, you know, uh, you know, like whatever, abortion's wrong. You can't do that. You can't do that, right? As a medical professional. So what he said to her was very casually, again, he said, well, like, you know, let's just see. Like, let's just confirm it and do an ultrasound. And like, um, you know, it could be something else. Let's just really make sure. And so he gets her on the table and starts doing it. And he said, to the, to the people that we were at the talk with, he said, like, a lot of people are really fascinated by their insides, like, and that's just something he's learned, like, through the course of his work, so he starts saying to her, like, okay, yeah, like, you can see the sack there for the baby, but, like, also, oh, like, this is, like, your whatever, whatever other pieces are around there, <laughs> like, um, you know, and points out other things, I'm not a doctor, guys, um, in case you didn't know. Uh, yeah, so starts pointing out like, oh, like this is your stomach or whatever. And she's like kind of laughing because like it was like kind of funny. Like people like seeing their insides and they think it's kind of like interesting. So then eventually he says and like then he, and here's the baby. Oh, it's like measuring about like five, seven weeks. Like um, and there you can already see like some things are forming and whatever. And like, oh, this is the heartbeat. Like very, very casually you know? And then, uh, she, and then it, because that happened and there was like a little bit of rapport, she says to him, like, I just, I just wasn't expecting it. You know, I just got married and I don't know, like I wasn't expecting it. It wasn't planned. And then he said to her like, well, you know, my wife and I just had a baby and that wasn't planned either. And, but you, you can do it and you will love them even though it was unexpected. And she's like, really? And he's like, yeah, like that, that's what I found, you know? And she didn't ever come to a point where she said, I'm not going to have the abortion. But there was like enough that like that's basically all he could do, you know, was and look for the signs that maybe she was changing her mind. Like it's really tough in the in in hospitals because you can't walk with them all the way through it. Right. But my organization's in the process of trying to develop um, like that kind of strategies for the medical community. So we can talk more after. OK. Any other questions? Oh, OK. <laughs> Right here. Hi. Um, so I, I come from Mexico, where the debate actually about legalizing abortion is, is very out there. Uh, well, it, there's a law and pe women are getting sent to jail and whatever. Um, but my question is, like, how would you engage, like, students, like, intellectual students that have like a lot of philosophical background that say oh well you know like it's okay and like also like a bit of theology in there too like it's okay to for the woman to have the abortion because the the fetus is not a person yet the fetus doesn't have a soul yet we don't know when the soul comes in and jumps into the the fetus's body but for now it's a human in potency not actually a human well, some of that will be addressed when you do apologetics um, in like a few minutes, hopefully. All I'll say, though, is like our organization doesn't um, do apologetics from a, from a spiritual perspective at all. It's entirely secular because conversations about the soul and whatever, um, very tricky and very dismissed in today's 
world. So like we're someone to go deeper and like through our relationship with abortion minded people, were we to discover like, you know, they're starting to question a lot of things, which usually happens, then we would bring that up, but not from the outset. But yeah, we'll get into like a little bit of how to break through. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Right here. Hi. Uh, thanks for the talk. I have three questions. <laughs> First, when do you know to stop? Um, so, like, when you approach very uh, pro-choice people, they are very draining. Like you said, sometimes it's like it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot to listening to them, and to try to build a friendship. And when do you know uh, that? Like, there's an end to that because most likely they probably had an abortion in the past and they're really justifying their their actions like they're living a denial it says I did this da, da, da. like you just hit wall after wall like like is there any point in your work that you really you feel like okay this is the end like or this is absolutely no way to go any further with this person or so the second question is um how do you approach people who are indifferent so people will say that um abortion is not for me but like what other people decide to do like it's none of my business like it's they think their choice or their belief and some of them are even catholics they're like my faith is very private other people's is very their privacy it's like i don't want to kind of intrude and the third question is um have you ever encountered or what would you say to people with the view of almost a nihilistic view that the earth is overpopulated, even with the abortion. It's like, it's still populated. Why even get into the fight of pro-life, pro-choice? You know, it's like, um, there's no point. Uh, okay, yeah. Like every single one of those questions is like you could talk about for like an hour. So um, the first one is about when to stop, right? Okay, so it entirely depends on the context again, like in our work on campuses, um, you know, I don't see a definitive end to that. Like if I'm having an, a conversation with someone where we've entered into a conversation about abortion and they just say like um, flat out, like I'm pro-choice and there's no changing my mind, I don't just leave it there. I say like, well, you know, I'm here to have you know, a, a constructive conversation with you. We think constructive conversations about abortion are really important. So um, if you would like to talk to me, I'd really like to talk to you. I just want to hear your opinion. And I think having a conversation around this is important. And then if they just say no, then like, what am I going to do, right? So they leave. But, um, you know, in a situation where, you know, we're, we're journeying or accompanying with someone after activism through our discussion groups and stuff, um, like, I don't really see a firm end to it. It's also their choice. You know, if they keep coming back and saying like, well, this is just what I believe, like they're obviously curious or not being totally honest because they're also coming back to like a, a situation where they're like with a bunch of pro-lifers, like what do they think is going to happen, you know? Um, but if you're talking about in relationship, um, that honestly sounds like a reductionist situation where like you've, you or them have both reduced a relationship to this one issue. And like I mentioned, your relationships with people are not to be just about this one issue. It's about journeying your lives together overall, right? So if it was me and there was someone in my life where we're at a point where now every time we get together, we just are so pissed off at each other because of our opposing views, I'd probably have what I call a crucial conversation with them where I would say like, listen, I really want our relationship to be more than this. Um, and I'm really sorry if I've done anything that's hurt you or caused our relationship to become so hostile because it takes two people for a relationship to get that way. And then I would say like, 
can we, can we just like do something fun together or like talk about something else and try to like reestablish trust, but it's not going to be perfect. Uh, shoot. What was the second one? Oh, personal. Yeah, personal. Okay. Um, again, totally depends on the context. So uh, if I was in an activism outreach setting, this did happen to me where I had a guy come up to me. He's like 21. And I said, what do you think about abortion? And he's like, I don't want to say. And usually pro-choice people say that. So I, I was like, okay, well, you know, I like I'm here to have like healthy conversations with people about tough issues and um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to get mad at you. Like I'm going to keep my emotions down you know, I'm not here to do that. So I'd really like to know what you think. And then he said, well, actually I'm pro-life. And I was like, oh, I'm pro-life too. And he was like, what? And then, and then he, and then he said, uh, I was like, yeah, why, why didn't you want to say, well, you know, like people get really upset now when you tell them that you're pro-life. So I didn't want to say, and then I said, uh, yeah, yeah, I totally get that. And that's why we're here. We want to restore like healthy conversations around tough topics. And then he's like, actually, I'm a pastor. And I'm like, okay, this guy's like 21, but okay. <laughs> so that's judgy, but um, I'm not perfect, guys. Uh, so I said, oh, okay, yeah, you're a pastor. That's cool. Like, do you ever, have you, are you doing anything like about abortion in your own life or like in your church or whatever? He's like, well, when people ask me, I tell them. I was like, dude, I just asked you. <laughs> and you, you didn't want to tell me. So like, what's the deal? And he's like, well, yeah, you know, like, yeah, you're right. Like I was scared or something. And then I said, you know, if you never talk about Jesus, can you really say that you're a Christian? And then he's like, no. And I was like, well, can you really say you're pro-life if you never talk about it? And he's like, no, I guess you're right. You know, and then he like signed up for something. But, um, the thing is that, like, it, and I, there's so many examples that you could give where that kind of relativistic mindset just doesn't work. And analogies are a big part of being able to, like, talk to people. But again, it depends on the context. Like, if it was with my friends, like, who don't agree with me, I would probably try to find an analogy that they could relate to, like, where having that really relativistic mindset doesn't make any sense. Like, or even with Christians, I would be harder on them because it doesn't make sense. And you can find a lot of faith examples. We can talk more about that another time. And what was, oh, nihilism. You know, is you talking, are you talking about in relationship or like random? Yeah, so um, that's where like the knowledge piece comes in. Um, I would suggest like depending on the tone and the context of the conversation, like if you guys are sitting around debating, then like I would make sure that I have um, some videos or like things that I could draw on to like explain. Okay, casually. So honestly, that sounds like a situation similar to like with Stacy, where I just have to sit and listen to her talk about like porn and stuff and like not say too much because there's not, like it's not the right time yet, you know, and you might have to like show or speak into things along your journey with them um, about how and like raise, like insert statements like, um, I was watching this video about how there's actually so much uh, undeveloped land in like whatever area, you know, like I was thinking a lot about what you told me about overpopulation and I read this thing, like, what do you think? you know, but those are intentional choices you got to make to find out more, to be able to feel like armed with the right things, to be able to say things in that casual way. Does that make sense? Yes. 
Um, my question is, at times, I've had conversation with a couple of friends talking about abortion, and it always leads to the fact that religion is not political. So religion shouldn't interfere with the laws that are being made in a particular country and all that. So how would you tackle such a conversation that always leads? For me, that's a dead end. Like, we can't go anywhere with that. How would you tackle that? Yeah, good question. Uh, the short answer is what I say to people who say that, I say that's not a religious issue. This is a human rights issue. And all human beings deserve human rights. And if you don't think all human be beings deserve human rights, you need to change that. But usually they do, right? Like there's there's like a, a something with religion that they feel sort of manipulated by or something like that. And that's not to say we should avoid religion altogether, but I have found it far more effective to have the majority of the conversations right now be from a human rights perspective and a logic perspective of saying like, of just breaking down their arguments of you wouldn't do that to a toddler. So why are we doing it to preborn children? Or if a toddler gets human rights, why doesn't a preborn child who's the offspring of two humans, you know, and learning how to talk about it from a science, logic, and human rights perspective. Even the UN Declaration of Human Rights for Children acknowledges on some level that we need to care for children born and pre-born. So there's a lot of material that you can kind of be armed with to have successful conversations. Yeah, go ahead. So this actually didn't happen not too long ago. Um, a friend of mine was in school in the U.S., and Hearing his story, um, he was in a relationship. When he got back to Canada, he asked me to pick him up at Pearson. And I had no problem. I lived an hour and a half from Pearson. He finally came out and said that the woman he was with was pregnant, but she decided to do what she did without even consulting him, with not even knowing, and he had no choice and even just talking with her, let alone convincing her to make a different choice. And this friend of mine, he's a pretty tough nut to crack. I've never seen him shed a tear, let alone break down in the car and just continue sobbing the whole way home. My question is, how do you speak to a friend of you, a friend of yours who's a male who had no idea that the person that he was with was pregnant, decided to do what she did, and he had absolutely no idea until after the fact when she told him. Yeah, um, first of all, I'm so sorry for you and for your friend. That situation is all too common, and it's, it's horrible, um, but it is real. First and foremost, I'll say that the best thing you could do for your friend is get them hooked up to an, a post-abortive organization called Silent No More Awareness, uh, Silent No More Awareness Campaign. They're a group of post-abortive men and women who um, help post-abortive men and women come to healing. Um, they're excellent. Um, yeah, the other thing I'll say is like the best thing that you could do is similar to maybe other situations. Thank you, Seth. Um, of grief or like where there's unexpected death and like, um, you know, two years ago, my father-in-law died. And, you know, in those situations, you feel like, what could I have done? You know, and especially heightened as a parent, you know, when their child has been killed without their consent. Um, 
is to validate like all, you know, the right feelings that he has of helplessness and hopelessness. And how could I, how could I have let this happen? But he didn't even know, you know, like there's nothing he could have done, but you validating like that he was a parent, he is a parent and forever more will be, even though he's a parent of a dead child, that doesn't change. And that's what so many post-abortive men and women need is the culture is refusing to acknowledge that they are all parents and that their children are dead. Um, and the best thing you can do for him as a friend is just love him through that and continue to validate the very normal and appropriate feelings and natural feelings that he's having and then get him hooked up to that organization as soon as you can. Uh, yeah. Hi. Um, my question is regarding, um, like the, gr oh, sorry. Um, my question is regarding the gray areas of the conversation. Um, like people who would say, is it okay to have an abortion if it was a result of rape or if it's a mother of 12 children and you know, they don't have the capacity to care for more kids and, you know, they just can't, but they just keep getting blessed with more and more children. Um, I guess I should give a little more context to that. Um, I have a friend, uh, very close to me, very dear to me, treat her like a sister and I love her so very dearly. Uh, she was building a life with um, a man that she thought she was going to spend the rest of her life with. Uh, now this guy, um, when he found out that she was pregnant, left her, moved to a whole different province. Now she's left with, with the decision um, whether to keep the child or to have an abortion. Now, while this was all happening, I was getting busy with work and university, and she knew my stance with um, being pro-life. So she wasn't able to, like, she, she didn't even want to have the conversation with me and she had the abortion. Now, uh, my second question on top of, is there any gray areas in, in the conversation is, is there any other options that I could have possibly given my friend any other options besides abortion? Is there any other options that I could give to people who said, well, um, I've been raped. So I am not going to keep my child if it reminds me of this horrible time in my life. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> yeah, those, those are obviously very difficult and intense situations. Um, a little bit of the apologetics learning is learning that um, often, especially with the situation with the 12 children, so I'll address that first, um, you know, there are a lot of really good analogies and uh, tactics that you can use to, you know, sort of, like, depends on the context. Like, the 12 children one sounds like a more, um, you know, like, less emotional situation. So, you know, you could say something like, well, if a family has adopted, like, four kids or something and then they end up getting pregnant and let's say the husband loses his job like these are all very common things to happen the solution 
to their problems would never be let's get rid of or kill the adopted children because we adopt like we had them and now we can't afford them you know um so the same mentality has to apply to preborn children they're just smaller children they're not less human um so they deserve all the same rights and care and considerations um yeah, the rape situation is difficult, particularly difficult if it's someone very close to you, a very difficult situation to navigate, especially if they're not very open to the conversations. That's where I would say, um, you know, some of the videos that we've given you guys on the apologetics sheet, um, there's one really good one that's on there called Felicia's Story by the organization Choice for Two, and I would have played it if we had the time, um, but essentially it's a young woman who was raised by drug addicts. She got pregnant. Um, she want, she was considering having an abortion for obvious reasons. Um, and then she decided, or by some happenstance, someone got her in touch with the pregnancy care center, just like she saw a pamphlet or something. And she went and she changed her mind. And she shares in her testimony about how, you know, like abortion doesn't change, like it doesn't unrape a rape victim. You know, it's not an eraser. It doesn't erase trauma. It only adds trauma. And um, we need to stop adding traumas to situations as though they're solutions. And I would just do, I would have just do everything I can to love them through that, but also be honest because you have a responsibility, right? So sharing something like Felicia's story and saying like, look, you know, there, there have been other women who've gone through these really tough situations and they haven't found that having the abortion changed their situation or unraped them or removed that trauma. If anything, they found it, it was healing for a lot of the trauma that they went through. Because yes, that child was unplanned, unwanted, and you know, partially has the DNA of this rapist, but also is your child and has your DNA and all your goodness. And and being able to share that and say, like, you don't have to do this to your baby. Please don't do this to your baby. It is your child, you, ha you know? And um, trying to really emphasize the humanity that way. Um, there have been situations that I've been in where I encountered an older mom who was unexpectedly pregnant. She was considering abortion because her, her husband lost his job. And uh, after consulting, like, a friend who does a lot of crisis work, she said, like, you know, we need to stop being afraid of being honest with women in crisis as though they can't handle the truth of knowing what abortion is because they're in crisis. So I sent her, you'll see on your sheet, there's a whole bunch of videos from Dr. Anthony Levitino. He's an amazing uh, former abortionist. I sent her a video where he explains what happens in an abortion from the abortion pill. And she changed her mind. And it's that kind of honesty, but with a lot of love that I have found to be really transformative in those crisis situations. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, sorry, that was the other thing you asked, alternatives to abortion. So the alternatives are keeping your baby or giving your baby up for adoption. Um, and so adoption is a very common thing. There are more people waiting to adopt children in this country than there are children to be adopted because they're being aborted. So, you know, being able, again, the knowledge piece, right, guys? So finding out, like, like who would you go to in your city to help them have an, an adopt, like, give their baby up for adoption? Um, or, you know, it's, the crisis pregnancy care centers usually know a lot of that. We gotta, we gotta wrap it up. 
But thank you guys so much for all the questions. Thank you.